Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Double banger on the show today. First up, Justin Freeman from RunTheSims.com to talk about XFL, DraftKings strategy. There's a ton of money up top, so you're probably going to want to listen up. If you want to get your hands like 100K, there's showdown contest with 10K up top at DraftKings for the opening week of the XFL. And we got the best tools to go along with it. We printed XFL last time, printed USFL last time. So hopefully they're just as good for XFL this time around. Then afterwards, I have invited the... Two gentlemen who are nominated with me for the Fantasy Sports Writers Association Golf Writer of the Year. We got Byron from Rotoballer, and we have Alex Blickle from FTN. And we have a conversation about how they got into creating golf content, how long they've been doing it, why they did it, and even drawing from their past experience as golfers. Alex is still a semi-pro golfer trying to qualify for the U.S. Open. So they got a bunch of cool stories, and just to shine some light on other people from around the industry, Please stick around and listen up to that. All right, let's go. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Football season never ends. The XFL DraftKings strategy picks and preview trying to find the right tools to give us the right projections to cash in on some of these giant at least week one xfl prize pools that i think you might want to check out i'm not gonna lie 100k to first place uh, nothing to nothing to scoff at when it comes to the xfl in terms of drafting it's a lot of money at the top of prize pools we're gonna try to figure out the best way to get ourselves to the top of those prize pools and no one better to join me in doing this than the co-creator of runthesims.com and that's where you're going to want to go get the monthly over at runthesims.com right now it's 49.99 for the month and we all know justin freeman i should probably bring you in that the prize pools for xfl might not be there in week six but they are there in week one so you're going to want those tools and we were going to take advantage of it like the world of uncertainty we are embracing it or hopping in buddy we are Nobody is working harder than Furby and I are working behind the scenes on projections for XFL. Um, you know, it's funny. I've, I've talked to a few other people in the industry, like, and they ask me questions. Where do you go? Where do you get information? What are you looking for uh, for XFL? And it's like, man, if there is no 
shortcut when you're trying to find information on this stuff. So believe me, this is way better than doing it yourself. Go check out Run the Sims, get the monthly subscription, take advantage of this. And it's not just the one contest at 100K. We're starting to see showdown contests enter the lobby. Uh, we're, we're seeing like some, some pretty high stakes. Like you got a luxury box for 2K, 10K up top. Like, I mean, hey, if you're feeling a little froggy, the late, there's something for everybody. There's a $3.20 max. Uh, yeah, it's like if you've got the Super Bowl blues like we all did on uh, Monday morning, it's time to, to jump back on the saddle. So, so far uh, going through everything, like you've been around for XFL V1 when that season was canceled at the beginning of COVID. And then we did USFL last season and I myself, it's the most profitable thing that I've ever played on DraftKings. I played props on it when I went to prize picks. Code DOP, by the way, at prize picks. If you want to get in uh, and get a deposit match of up to 100 bucks, links down in the description for all of that stuff. Same as runthesims.com. I just printed money the entire time. Now, that is not my expectation going into this. However, I do know utilizing the proper tools, as long as the person running the projections and putting in the inputs has a clue of what's going on is in a small sport like this, where there's not a lot of information, projections are going to be wildly all over the place that unlike the NFL and especially something like the Super Bowl, which is the most sharply capped thing there is, this is kind of the opposite of that, isn't it? It, it is. And what's funny is like, there's still a lot of edges for us to pick up on. Like there are ways that we can take the little amount that we do know and use that to our advantage. And, you know, one of the things that was super profitable last year, if you're playing on the pick'em sites was to, uh, you know, take a lot of the unders because, you know, a lot of guys were seeing come in, play small portions of games, guys who you thought were like former NFL players and guaranteed to be in roles were obviously not in roles. And there's a pretty decent who's who of like former NFL players from like, you know, guys you had on your fantasy team, like four years ago, there's some of those types of guys in there where you're like Eli Rogers. I know that name somewhere. Martavis Bryant. I haven't heard that one in a while. Or even Josh Gordon is in this league. And so and people are going to, you know, really rush to click on some of those familiar names. I think it's going to be probably some of the not so familiar names, uh, you know, the, that are probably going to win people some money. You know, you think about what you knew heading into USFL last year, and everybody was like, you know, big time on the Tampa Bay Bandits. Tampa Bay Bandits don't even exist anymore, for one. And then everybody on that team was not very good. And, um, you know, if you just kind of faded what the consensus opinion was, there are so many other places you can go. Um, there's a lot of players that, you know, I think everybody has kind of left for dead or has never even heard of before um, that you could just simply rely on the projections to be directionally accurate. I think that's as good as we're hoping to get to is directionally accurate, you know, to come in and 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 make, you know, your way up the leaderboard pretty quickly. So what I found during USFL season when we tried to run a lot of these lineups was you know, I would. Did great with the stacking with the correlation but every once in a while there would just be a guy who we would project projected number one on the depth chart then we get to the game and the guy legit has zero touches that, that's just par for the course isn't it it's you gotta you gotta lean on it it's gonna go to your advantage sometimes and it's gonna hurt you sometimes uh because there are no beat reporters for these teams you know there's 
There's no Jameson Hensleys and Greg Almonds out there that are tracking the team and flying with them from city to city and giving you all the behind the scenes dirt. Uh, there's no Adam Schefter bombs coming uh, at midnight before inactives. Like, you know, we are oftentimes going to be learning information all the way up until kickoff and and really sometimes beyond kickoff. I mean, one of the things that happened in the USFL last year was there was a player who was still listed on injured reserve. He ended up being in the game and playing a significant role and everybody thought he was out and injured. So, uh, yeah, like you would love to see these spring leads have cleared up uh cleaned up their act a little bit uh they just haven't done it yet uh maybe the xfl will be a little bit different but you know as we record here tuesday night pat uh no injury reports to go off of we do have an ir list so we know a few people that aren't playing but you can count on the little handy run the sims little injured logo guy uh to give you information on who's listed as questionable once we get that type of information so let's try to start off on what we know about the XFL. I'm going to shimmy over to DraftKingsSportsBook.com just for a moment, and we can kind of take a look at what's going on in terms of the odds for these games. How much stock do you put into how well these games are capped? Because every game is within a field goal spread. All the over-unders are 35 and a half up to 37, so not much of anything here. It's like them throwing up their arms saying, we don't actually know. What's happening here? And even when we take a look at the team futures, uh, the St. Louis Battlehawks are four to one to win. The biggest long shot are the Orlando Guardians. They're nine to one. So no one has any clue who's good and who's bad, right? Yeah, I mean, if you use last year's USFL as an example, the uh, Birmingham Stallions were like last place in the league heading into it in terms of uh, odds to win the whole thing. They they win it all. They ship the whole thing. And uh, of course, like it just goes to show like whatever you think, you know, you don't know. Um, and so I think they're right to cap these games within a point or two. Um, you could probably make a legitimate case that any team getting any points at all is a is, is a solid bet, um, you know, because simply we, we just we don't know. Like we don't know uh, how these teams are going to mesh. We don't know stylistically what any of them are going to look like, um, you know, and so how do we solve that? You may be asking, how do you even create a projection then in that case? Because, uh, but we do have some sort of identity, you know, identity associated with these teams based on who their coaches are. Um, you know, Arlington Renegades, they're a team coached by Bob Stoops. We've seen Bob Stoops before, you know, we've got, we've got film on Bob Stoops as a coach, um, you know, Seattle's coached by Jim Hazlitt and June Jones. And so those are a couple of guys that we know what to expect. So stylistically, we may have an idea of what to expect, but you know, if the quarterbacks come out and they're terrible and they don't mesh and it's just not going to look good. Like this is the first week of, of a brand new league that didn't exist uh, a few months ago. So um, I think, yeah, in terms of taking advantage of those betting lines, I'd be, tempted to hop on um, even more of the unders. Like you could expect to see some low scoring games, I think uh, in week one, even though they're already capped in the mid to high thirties um, and, and any underdog points you can get your hands on. Well, okay. So let's try to figure this out from a DraftKings perspective, because that's really where I think the big money is going to be made in the XFL and knowing what we don't know is kind of up in the air. When do you think would be the best time? Like, let's say, I mean, I am, I'm on Run the Sims right now. When would be the best time to actually generate my lineups? I would feel like the closer we get to lineup lock on Saturday for the first kickoff is probably going to be the best point because at least then we have the maximum amount of information that we can have versus running it on a Wednesday versus a Thursday. Like the longer the week goes on, the more information we're going to have, right? 
That's exactly right. Um, and so the way I would approach that is if you want to build 20 lineups or three lineups or whatever you want to do, go ahead and do that today. Like get you some uh, dummy lineups in there that you can you know count on, but plan on this information changing like hourly on Run the Sims because we're gonna we're gonna learn more in this five day stretch leading up to initial kickoff, which is Saturday, uh, February eighteenth at three p.m. Eastern. Um, we're gonna learn more in this next five day period than we've learned in the five months uh, pre uh, previous up to this point, where we're seeing teams start to leak depth charts. That's at least some clue. Um, you know, we're starting to see sort of the social media teams from uh, each of these squads leak a little bit of information about, you know, who to anticipate as captains and starting lineups. And uh, we're just going to get more and more injury news. We're going to get uh, inactives, hopefully at some point before this game. Um, I can't remember exactly how many inactives per team, but we're going to see some players not dress uh, on these 51 man rosters. So we're going to get a lot of information. So whatever you build today, you know, you know, hold it loosely and be ready to part with it uh, as we get more and more information. That'll be less so the case, I think, in future weeks. But this week, more than any, like, let's be prepared to rebuild it all uh, Saturday about noon. Yeah, I think my strategy is just going to be don't run anything until Friday night. And then like I've went and reserved my entries into the giant $15 already because I th I really do think where it's such a week with so little information, we don't know what to expect. That almost seems like the perfect time to mass enter something. I'm not someone who really mass enters a ton of contests, especially in football and golf, because it's a more high variance sport. I tend to do that in the NFL. I like to find myself a $200 single entry, a $150 three max and play that like a single entry. I'm not playing with the biggest budget over here, but I don't play in the millionaire maker. I don't play in the $8 or the, in the $9 slant and try to max that out. I don't do anything like that, but I think I'm just going to play 50 lineups into the $15 this week. And that's going to be all my exposure outside of showdown contests, which were uber profitable for me during USFL season, as I've just found the run the Sims tool so easy to use with that. And just you know, try to max the 50 max those out and try to get to the top of them i think i won two of them came second in two of them it was crazy how well i didn't show down over that yeah. time and i was having success in the larger field tournaments but i felt like my edge was it's not that it was gone it just got lessened as the weeks went along whereas right now with no one knowing anything put my faith in the system that it's going to be able to beat the majority of people out there so why not embrace the variance and try to go for that 100k that's exactly right. And there may be some ways that you can build smarter lineups by, um, you know, sort of setting up some stacks for yourself within the system. Like it's pretty easy once you uh, go in and sort by quarterback to have an idea of like where we're placing our confidence um, and, and some of those quarterback names um, you will have heard of before. And we're still waiting to get some quarterback depth news uh, on some other teams. But let's just take a team, for example, like Seattle. The quarterback's Ben DiNucci. Remember playing Ben DiNucci in DFS about three years ago? Ben DiNucci of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> exactly right. So he's back and better than ever with the Seattle Sea Dragons. Um, so yeah, like let's say we anticipate that he, a former NFL starting quarterback at one point in time, uh, is capable of, of carrying the load. We, we, have, we feel pretty confident he'll be the starter there in Seattle, um, always subject to change, of course. But then you're like, OK, well, how do I make a, a good Ben DiNucci lineup? How do I capitalize on that? Well, heading into XFL week one, 
we have really no idea what these receiving rotations are going to look like. And we've got a unique type of roster we have to build. So obviously in traditional NFL DraftKings for a classic slate, it's a nine player roster, right? Quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, tight end flex defense. But in XFL DFS, it's a seven man roster. So only one running back, two receivers, um, and, and really no tight end. So a receiver and tight end are the same thing in this pass catcher. So uh, one quarterback, one running back, uh, two receivers, two flex, and one defense. Now the double flex is interesting because what that's going to allow you to do is play up to three running backs if you want to. So, um, and I would recommend, especially in week one, to go after those running backs. They may have slightly lower ceilings than some of the uh, pass catchers, but the problem is we don't know who the pass catchers are. So go in and, and make it spit out lots of uh, large number of running back lineups, uh, scatter up the exposure you have to the defenses, you know, try not to get focused in on any one defense. And I think you'll you'll find some results that way where you're playing three running back lineups and then you're making Ben DiNucci lineups. So we want to maybe take two stabs at Seattle pass catchers that could go with Ben DiNucci. And so when we go to receiver and then filter by um, Seattle, then we hey, can hold, see hold Josh. On. Just just hold on one second. Am I reading this right? Is Josh Gordon on the Seattle team? Yeah, man. Josh Gordon. The Josh like, Gordon. Like the Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon, the guy who had what, like sixteen hundred receiving yards about a decade ago. So I, I've put uh, put together a quarterback with two wide receivers or tight ends, whatever it might be. And tight ends aren't coming up. I can tell you that much right now, just looking at Run the Sims. So I have Ben DiNucci and Josh Gordon along with Juwan Green for the moment. We can also make another one. That's you'd have to guess that Josh Gordon's like the guy, right? Are we just guessing that? We would assume so. Like we're we're assuming he definitely gets first crack at uh, any any receiving work for Seattle. Yeah, you know, so, okay. I'll, I'll put in d- double fifteen percent exposure to a Danucci, Gordon, Jawan Green, Ben Danucci, Josh Gordon, and Jacor Pearson. That's a person. He plays for Seattle. We're throwing him in the stack. Love so it. now there we go. And max flex exposure. I want to turn down wide receiver and just keep running back up at 200%, right? Exactly, yep. All right, so let's generate some lineups and see what we got going here. All right, a lot of Ben DiNucci lineups with uh, the guys that we want to have, our pass catchers in there. All right, so we got a lot on the go. John Lovett, I don't know if that's from like Saturday Night Live, John Lovett's, but he- Yeah, uh, love it or leave it, right? Uh, (laughs) He's apparently a a highly drafted running back for the Las Vegas Vipers, had a sip of coffee in the NFL this past season, but- uh, yeah, uh, was a highly rated uh, running back for this league. So yeah, you so what you're getting there, Pat, is a lot of three running back lineups with a double stack coming uh, from the Seattle pass catching core. Um, and so you've really kind of locked yourself into saying, okay, really the only thing I have to get right here is that one of these guys from the Seattle pass catchers has a pretty dang good game. And so you've basically got a one out of eight chance of choosing the right quarterback here. Um, and so you, you've improved your odds by quite a bit. And so like traditionally, I would say you've built a pretty low ceiling lineup 
the problem, but the good thing about XFL week one is it's it's not necessarily about ceiling. Like you may not have to have a killer score to take down week one. You just have to avoid all the landmines. So you've created a, a lineup that makes a lot of sense for avoiding landmines. We found three of the like highest profiled running backs that you could choose from. You've got a defense of who cares because we don't know anything about the defenses. And uh, yeah, so we, we basically just need to get the one thing right, which is Seattle quarterback is the guy you need, and he's going to take along at least one of those guys with him. And, and we don't need to specify that it has to be Ben DiNucci. It could be A.J. McCarron that we want to go with. But the projections in the lineups have spit out. 93% of lineups feature John Lovett, or leave it, and Jamain Martin and Mateo Durant. Those seem to be the three running backs that consistently pop up everywhere. After that, it's Devin Darrington. But that would seem like, hey, here are my three running backs that I'm going to play in the majority of my lineups. Now let me find one team overload stack to go with that. Like, do we even need to bring it back in these games? Nope, nope I would not because you, you're not banking on some sort of uh, shootout environment. That's not entirely what we're after. I mean, and granted, we take it and we're not going to prevent that from happening as we make our lineups, but that's not really the angle here. Like, I, I think it's really more about just picking the things that you're most confident in. And so for like our week one quarterback projections, we're basically handicapping those based on how likely we think each of those guys is as the starter. Um, there's some get some quarterback situations. We've got pretty close to 50, 50 because there's just simply not enough news to, to handicap it. So um, yeah, no, I go in there and experiment around. If you want to kind of force some in, you can obviously use the stacks tool to, to force in whatever you want. Um, and get different types of lineups but that's that's how I would build across the board um, you know and, and obviously like we're not married to any of these names you know they're subject to change between now and Saturday and they definitely will so look yeah looking at the quarterbacks right now I have up on the screen Danucci projects the best at $9,800 on DraftKings after that it's AJ McCarron at 10-5 Jack Coan for San Antonio, which looks like a bumblebee or a hummingbird type and logo. The Brahmas. You, do you remember the Rock's uh, nickname? Oh, right? it, it, so they're the Brahma Bulls? They're the Brahmas. Yeah, San Antonio Brahmas and named in honor of the Rock. So, and then you have Jordan Tumau, who's like the king of these leagues. This is like his uh, third iteration. He's back in the XFL. Um, he's a popular name. Like, uh, I think people will be really happy to click on him. He was God awful in the USFL. He like I know he, there are some stats uh, that people will cite and say like he led the league in touchdowns. Like the bar to clear there was ridiculously low. And, uh, <laughs> and he happened to play all the games for his team. That's he was, he was Tampa's quarterback, wasn't he? Uh, yes, he was. Yeah, he was, um, he was the, the he was St. Louis's he was St. Louis's quarterback the first time through in the XFL, then Tampa's yes. quarterback in the USFL. Now it appears he's on DC. Yep, the DC Defenders. So, so uh, Kyle Stoller was a guy who won me some cash in USFL. Yep, former New Orleans Breakers quarterback Kyle Slaughter is uh, with the Arlington Renegades now. Uh, we're not entirely sure that he's going to be the starter, but uh, we're hoping to get some more information there too. There's a battle between he and Drew Plitt. Uh, a guy you've 
probably not heard of. I, I know I hadn't until I started digging into this. Uh, but, the, you know, you talk about names you've heard of before. Uh, Brett Hundley, uh, quarterback formerly from the Packers and spent some time with the Cardinals, I believe. Um, he is a quarterback for Vegas, and we are uh, currently unsure whether he'll be the starter, but hoping to get some more information for that throughout the week. So you can see, like, just as we talk through the quarterbacks, how much uncertainty there is. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities to take advantage of what people assume to be fact and maybe zig where other people are zagged. Who do we think are like locked? Do we do we know anyone who is actually locked in at quarterback? Like, is it Danucci and McCarron? That's why we're putting so much emphasis on them. We feel really good about those first three to four on the on the list of projection, which is Ben Danucci. Um, there's just really not a, a competent backup, I don't think, uh, that's emerged in that discussion for Seattle. So I feel good about Ben Danucci, AJ McCarron, the guy who he was in co competition with, Ryan Willis, actually just left the league. So he's probably going to be a USFL quarterback here in a couple of weeks. Uh, so McCarron looks like he's pretty penciled into the starting role. Uh, Jack Cohn was announced today for San Antonio. And uh, and I think that's really where the confidence ends because once you get to Jordan Tiamu, um, you're in a range of guys where I think Tiamu is going to be the starter, but it wouldn't surprise me if they actually went with some sort of platoon type system uh, with their other quarterbacks. Dude, it's the Wild West. Uh, <laughs> you know, so just if you if you think that you're starting to you know, as you're clicking on guys and you're looking at names you recognize and guys you want to jam into your lineup, just remember other people are too. And if they want to, then you should probably go a different direction. Yeah, it's just kind of, it, we always kind of talk about ownership percentages and, you know, fade the chalk. It seems like it's even more important in a situation like this, unless these are legitimately the only guys that we know that are starting. By the time we get to Saturday, we're actually going to know who's who, or at least have a good sense of who's who. Yeah, exactly. And for any of these where it's like still truly torn, make a lineup with each of those guys. Like if, if we get the game time and Cole McDonald versus Brandon Silvers at quarterback for the Houston Roughnecks is still a thing that we're debating, make a Cole McDonald lineup and make a Brandon Silvers lineup. Nobody will be playing them if we don't know. And so there's an opportunity to take a low owned stack all the way to the house and you'll get a quarterback that's like 1% owned. Um, and so, yeah, you got that one thing right and and you're now climbing all the way up the leaderboard. So don't be afraid to like just lean right into that. Um, you know, for the ones that we do feel pretty sure about, yeah, we just build exactly the way we talked about earlier with the three running back design. Um, sprinkle in your defenses, just try to make them make sense. Maybe uh pair up one of your running backs with his own team defense just to mix in a tiny bit of correlation. Other than that, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much how we're approaching it. So if you go up to the DFS tools and then use spring football and to get to the page I was just on, use the classic optimizer for spring football at runthesims.com. And if you want to go to showdown, you can go to the DIY simulator. Now there's two separate things you can do in here. You can go to the main slate and tinker around with everything that you want to put in. You can tinker around with market shares. If you want to say, hey, I think that Brett Hundley is going to be the starter. We're not going to see Luis Perez. Well, you can just go customize that within the system and then rerun all your simulations over and over if that's what you want to do. But I want to focus a little bit on how are the contests for showdown for DraftKings? They just became live right before we decided. I see Orlando and Houston is out already. Uh, are the prize pools all right? Yeah, it's not bad. 10K to first. And this is for just like 
Um, th- this will be the second game of the slate. I think obviously DraftKings wants to drive as much action to that first lock time for the classic slates as possible. So no showdown on the first game, but we do have showdown on the second game uh, where we have a 30K prize pool with 10K up top uh, for the $10 in, uh, entry uh, with 3,500 people in it. Um, and then, yeah, there's there's a lot of other different types of contests there. There's $180, there's a $1, there's lots of different prize points, or excuse me, price points uh, to get in there. I imagine we'll get contests for the day two games. There's two games Saturday, two games Sunday. That's not quite the cadence every single week, but it's pr- going to be pretty close. Um, there's going to be a mixture of uh, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays mixed in over the course of the season. But yeah, so uh, there's definitely a good reason to hop in and print you out some lineups using the DIY simulator. Um, both the teams, unfortunately, right now have a ton of ambiguity with them. Uh, we don't know who the quarterbacks are yet for Orlando or Houston. So um, you're not going to get a ton of um, perfect lineups uh, to go in just yet, but come back at, towards the end of the week and we'll have a little bit more clarity. Um, and and you can obviously go in and, and change those market shares and types of numbers as you want. So one thing that I really enjoyed to do and had a ton of success with was kind of admitting to myself that I didn't know what was going on in every single game and sort of playing both sides. And then it would try to create different paths for me. Cause obviously you can see I've ran the Sims. It's going to give me the bar chart of how often someone needs to be in a captain for showdown, how often the reflex option, but, and you can get all the like player projections for the games. If DraftKings does decide to put player props up, uh, wait until like we know kind of for sure who's playing and who's not. And then just go run the projections because some of them might be we had some of the USFL that were 30 yards off what the projection was versus the lines that they were posting. And normally they're all unders when it came to a lot of that stuff. So be cognizant of that going into it. But just when you go to your custom lineups, I found the easiest way to do it was what type of builds do I want? Well, I usually just played two fours or four twos. And those were just the lineups that I, if I played like 30 lineups, it'd be 30 lineups of the four, two for whatever team. And then just do that in reverse. Since I have absolutely no idea who's going to win anyway, I feel, I felt like that was my biggest advantage going into it. And that's how I ended up having so much more success in showdown was play the variance, but at least try to make my lineups in a way that if one thing happens, I'm going to be completely right. Not only would I be completely right about it, I'd have a train of like, 10 of those 15 lineups that we're going to tell that same story. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to do it. That's a great way to just sort of uh, diversify your portfolio in general is to uh, take those different types of builds, because I think all too often people will just take the the sort of best type of build and get really overexposed on, um, you know, to a certain team having a really strong game. So if you can build a pretty diverse uh, portfolio of lineups, I think that makes sense. Obviously, on showdown, I think you're going to want to force in a lot of uh, defenses uh, on these showdown slates because you know the quarterback play is going to be pretty bad. Uh, the scoring is going to be pretty low in general. It's going to be much easier for a defense to get into the winning lineup. So I wouldn't hesitate to go double defense on a lot of those. Um, you know, so if you're starting to see a lot of uh, double D lineups, that'll be why. And then, uh, yeah, just go in there and and go crazy with different types of, of textures with your builds, and and you can have a lot of fun with it that way. I would stay away from kickers. Uh, I know usually, like if you said we don't need a lot of points, you would go to kickers. But do keep in mind with this league, there are no extra points for the kickers. 
Um, every conversion will either be a one, two, or three-point conversion, which is uh, going to be a traditional offensive play from either the two, five, or ten-yard line. So um, you get to pick how many points you want to go for after the touchdown, which is pretty cool. Uh, just to look back at the lineups that were generated just of all types, the salary left on the table, like the, the second most like optimal lineup in terms of what was spit out. It came out five times out of the simulations. So second most of anyone that I did, it was a five one with Houston. Uh, so it's like a Houston onslaught along with the Houston defense with it, that it uses $25,900. So half of my budget. There's plenty of room to make a good lineup. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be so much fun. I'm very excited to try to get the tools to be used at my disposal. Did I ever tell you that I went to an XFL game the first time around? Oh, the uh, the 1.0 version, the like the the one where they did like a scrum in the middle of the field to like see who gets first ball. Yeah, I went. I went to an Orlando Rage San Francisco Demons game. I forget what year it was. It might 2000, 2001, something like that. And it was the second week of the XFL. So there's still like a bit of buzz. Remember week one was like kind of crazy. So yeah. I saw the, instead of a coin toss, they just had a sprint, a 50 yard yeah. sprint. And a guy blew out his shoulder diving for the ball in the opening sprint. I don't think they're doing that anymore. I love it. They should. I wish they'd bring that back. Uh, no way it ever happens again. But man, that really was glorious. The XFL kind of changed football there for a short period of time. And they're still doing some innovative things that I think the NFL will eventually adopt. Uh, I think they all seem a little gimmicky right now. You know, obviously, I think the extra point type thing is a little gimmicky. Uh, but there are some fun things they're doing, uh, you know, like the sideline reporting. They, they'll, they'll put the coach on the hot mic or a player who just coughed up a fumble on the hot mic right after they do it and just get the raw feedback right then. And you get some pretty cool sound bites. So, you know, it's fun. That's a good viewing experience. Uh, put a little skin in the game here. Use Run the Sims. You know, get yourself a chance to to go to first place and and you'll have fun watching XFL. Yeah, like I said, I, I printed during USFL and I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't watch a second of USFL. You missed out. Did I? No, you didn't. I mean, you missed out on a few Scooby Wright, you know, interception for touchdowns. That's that's about what you missed out on. Hey, there, there was a, what was it? Turpin was good. And then he got signed by the Cowboys. Yeah. All, all, not all pro, but a uh, pro baller. Right. So, yeah. So there are, there is some talent lingering around in these leagues. Last time around, Tommy Maddox was the XFL MVP. And then he ended up making a pro bowl in the NFL with the Steelers. There you go. Some of these guys just need a chance. That's what's fun. Like these guys are all looking for opportunities. They're playing their tail off. This is their last chance for a lot of them. So uh, I'll pull it for them. They make for some really good underdog stories. Is this like the USFL where everything's in one place? Um, They are all, it's kind of interesting. They're all practicing in one place. They're all in Arlington, Texas. um, And they're, I think they have four different facilities in town that they practice at, but they will fly out to their home cities for their actual games. So like the DC team will go to DC uh, for the, for the DC game. Matter of fact, their opponent will be on the plane with them to DC uh, to go play against them. And they'll fly back to Dallas for practice or Arlington for practice. Interesting. That is, that doesn't sound like the most cost-effective way to do this. I think there is a cost-effective element to it where they want everything in one place for as long as possible. But yeah, it does seem like they're uh, burning quite a bit of jet fuel doing that. 
All right. So that was the XFL preview. Hopefully, you know a little bit more about the league and how we want to use the projections at runthesims.com to our advantage to try to attack some of these very early prize pools. So go to go become a sub at runthesims.com right now. They're all monthly during spring football. So you can jump in, jump out when you want them, maybe jump back in if there's a large USFL prize pool in about eight weeks from now, uh, now that you're acclimated with the system. But this is the week to hit go on all these DraftKings contests because we we might never see a one hundred thousand uh, dollar up top prize pool for XFL again. Did you win one of these in the XFL the first time around? Yeah, I, the the first XFL iteration, I I was neck and neck for a hundred k. Ended up finishing second in that contest, which the the payout structure was brutal. You finish in second, you end up with ten k in that one. So uh, actually, it was just shy. Always a bridesmaid there. Well, let's see if we can get one this time around. At least someone out there in the PME universe can end up with a 100K cash in XFL. Like, you can put that on your gravestone. That's not going to happen to too many people. Like, all-time leader winnings, XFL DraftKings. Uh, I mean, pretty nice in your bank account. I'm not going to lie to you. So once again, runthesims.com to get your hands on all of the tools, all the projections, but you do want to wait. Only seven spots to fill out in the four game slate going forward it starts on saturday so keep checking back to make sure we have updated depth charts updated injury reports and the closer we get to kick at kick off the more information that we're going to have to make the projections better that you can attack the props the DraftKings contests and everywhere where they do have projections up i hope that ours are better than everyone else's Experience. we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings. Changing it up a little bit now that football season is over. We need to talk to some more golf people. Expand the range. So today, we're having a chat with the other two people who are nominated for Golf Writer of the Year at the Fantasy Sports Writers Association. And we're going to just talk about how they got into golf writing a bit of their backstory maybe even talk on some storylines as well uh we're going to be back next week with a review of the netflix golf show and then all of the regular content that we have for the honda classic plus a bit more football stuff on the go we're not we're not going away from football completely at this point so please smash the like button to the episode sub to mayo media network and uh fantasynational.com slash mayo if you want to get 20 percent off all of the tools the simulations the lineup generators and prop betting tools to help you try to succeed, at least, during golf betting season. So let's bring him in right now. First up, Alex Blickle from FTN. Sir, I was this a surprise for you? Because I, it's really weird, because the FSWA stuff really only means anything to people within the industry. Anyone who's like not doing writing whatsoever really doesn't give a shit whatsoever. But uh, congratulations, first thing. And did you expect this to be coming? 
I appreciate it. I, I had no idea what to expect. Honestly, like a week before applications were due, I didn't even really know about it. I was, uh, I was really kind of persuaded to apply and, and submit my stuff by some colleagues at FTN. And, and fortunately, got one of the nominations. Really, really cool. And, and credit to all the guys that I work with for even pointing me in that direction. All right. And Byron Linda Q from Roto Baller. Uh, Roto Baller is kind of staking out a claim here in terms of the golf world. So congratulations. And when did you first start thinking this might actually be a reality? I'm there with uh, with Blickle on this. Uh, Roto Baller told me, hey, you should probably submit your, your application into uh, FSWA and we'll refund you the money. So I'm still thanks for the reminder there. I need to get my, my money back from them. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a last minute type thing. And, and you know, just absolutely shocked and in awe of the whole situation it's kind of a kind of a quick turnaround for how long i've actually been doing this stuff for so it's it's quite an honor so to be alongside you three well how, how long how long ago did you start actually getting into producing golf writing so i've yeah i've only been like doing this for two and a half years myself and then i only started writing about golf pretty much since the the honda last year so i'm about about rounding out on a year now which is kind of crazy to think about but i've always always enjoyed riding and, and enjoyed golf and, and all that jazz. So it's a, it's a beautiful combination of, of things that have come together yeah, in the last little while. Well, I, I think you guys are in a pretty good, uh, pretty good situation here against me for this award. I think I've been up for it 12 times over the past 13 years and I've won it once. So Alex, you, you might be the front runner here. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Maybe that just means you're due, Pat. Yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think makes your work different? Because obviously I like, there's a lot of good golfers within the space that produce content. There's a lot of bad golfers and there's a lot of mediocre golfers. You are actually a good golfer. So how much does that change and kind of make your work stand out? Do you think? It's an interesting question because one thing I will say is when I first started to kind of dive into researching PGA and just taking a more statistical approach to it, I was expecting to find a lot of different things than what I actually found. Like there were a lot of narratives that I believed as a player that I thought would, would be borne out in the data. And it's actually not the case, but I, I think one thing that, that my experience as a player has really kind of helped is picking the right questions to ask when I, dive into certain data. So, you know, it, there's only so much you can do with data analysis unless you know what the right questions are to ask and, and asking questions that other people in the industry wouldn't necessarily think to ask. And then you go and you try to answer that with the data and you don't always find anything uh, meaningful, but when you do, maybe there's an edge there. So can, can you give us an example of something like that? Cause now I'm very curious. Yeah. I, I think my favorite finding from this past year was that we can we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is such thing as a skill, let's call it, of knowing how to win. And the, the cool thing there is it only works in one direction. So you can't say, for example, that somebody who has been in contention a lot and hasn't been able to win, you can't say that that player doesn't have the skill to win. And it's a sample size thing. Like when you're in contention, you're still not expected to win. It's kind of like picking an NFL future for the Super Bowl. Even the favorites are underdogs, right? And so when a guy has had maybe 10 opportunities and he's only converted one or two, or maybe he hasn't converted any, you, you would only expect him 
to convert one or two opportunities. So if he hasn't converted any, it doesn't really tell you anything. On the other hand, if you're a Sam Burns or a Cameron Smith and you have converted like three times out of six when everyone else would be expected to convert one or two times out of 10, now all of a sudden you can say, okay, this guy has it. Whatever that it is, the skill of knowing how to win, they have it. And so it's cool that like we, we know that the skill exists, but you can only apply it in one direction. And, and we kind of saw that last year in the opposite way, where like going into the season, there was a narrative around Scotty Scheffler. He doesn't know how to win. He can't get it done. Same thing about Matt Fitzpatrick and Tony Finau. They, they had those narratives. And then Fitzpatrick gets uh, one of the most coveted majors. Scheffler goes on a winning streak. Finau goes on a winning streak. And you kind of see exactly that born out. So... Byron, from the other point of view, I mean, you're the model maniac, so I assume that you're just crunching data all the time and looking for your specific edges with this. Yeah. So I've got maniac at the end of the model there, which definitely makes a big difference because <laughs> unlike Blickle, I'm not a very, very good golfer, but that's how I landed up coming to the States is on a golf scholarship. Spent six years at a small little university doing accounting and business majors and all that jazz. So I, I try and particularly use the model most for the safer bets like head-to-heads and, and placement bets. And then I, I throw a little bit of a maniac flair into there because I was just looking at Matty Fitz today, for example, and he's grading out so nicely for all the things that we're looking for at this venue. But I don't know, man. I felt like he just pretty much stumbled his way into an amazing round of golf that got him that U.S. Open, in my opinion. I just don't know how often he's going to be winning golf tournaments that are just like regular events. So there's definitely a tinge to that. I think you have to apply what Bickle's been talking about and, and understanding that, yes, like a Russell Knox, for example, you, I've, he pops for me all the time, but I just want to hoof him out of my model because he's just cost me money and it's, it doesn't make sense. You know, like he just doesn't get it done when it matters. That clutch factor is just not there. So yeah, I'm definitely a little more data driven for the most part, but there's, there's a little bit of uh, golf history to my side too. So do you guys have, I mean, Byron, just to stick with you on this, like when you're going through numbers and you're also hosting a podcast and you're writing, do you, I found that the hardest thing is you don't, listen, trying to use data to express your points is obviously going to be something you can always point to. It's the research that goes behind it. But in order to have people listen to you or read what you're doing, it can't be a TPS report when you put something out. So how do you jazz it up in a bit to be able to talk about this, but not in the most boring way possible? Um, from my, when I do my solo pod, I have my model on the screen. So people, if they like kind of get a little bored of listening to me, they can kind of just scoot down the list and, and get their own stats that they want to look at. But also I'll be shotgunning Keystone beers for the waste management open, you know, doing that kind of stuff, wearing dumbass wigs and sexy shirts and stuff like that. So if there's, <laughs> people out there that are looking for, for that kind of stuff, I've, I'm bringing it to them. And um, I try and keep the energy high on my show and, and just kind of run through the important stats and, and kind of lump sum a few things into, into buckets and general themes of, of, the th- of like the event that's coming up versus just running through every single metric out there because, you know, um, that can, like you said, just turn into an absolute horror story. Yeah, it can. And like, I mean, I've tried to battle that because I always do the research show on Sundays where it is kind yeah. of that, where you have like a model up on screen here, stats up on screen, then you have to find some way to make it just a little bit entertaining or have some energy to it. So people don't like, you know, want to go lock themselves in a dark room afterwards. Just to, <laughs> you know what I mean, for like 40 straight minutes yeah. talking about the same thing over and over and over. And especially you kind of hit on it. Like, 
we look at the same stats basically every week. Like, how do you parse that out? Like, obviously, we know which stats tend to be at least pointing us in the right direction. Like, everyone's going to say, hey, you know what's a very important stat this week? Strokes gained approach. Well, thanks. But what, what do we do with that now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can you can try and look at how the guy's doing recently versus how he typically does over the last year. You can look at certain area you can dive into certain guys you know i think if you do it for just specific people it can definitely help people that want to like learn about that specific golfer's traits but you don't want to just be, be redundantly throwing out numbers there about the same person over and over we know colin morikawa is the best iron player in the world you know so um yeah it's it's a it's a weird dynamic to go there I, i'm not sure how blickle changes his approach with that but um it's also when you're riding you got to just kind of say the best approach play in the field kind of thing versus rattling off a whole bunch of stats and and things like that. So it's it's definitely changed since I started riding with that kind of stuff. And it's it's still learning. You know, you're trying to always adapt and figure out how to be better. So how do you parse through that, Alex? So earlier I was talking about like things that I expected to find as a player. And one of the things I expected to find was that course history was pretty predictive. And I found that that's not really the case. And, and it's kind of just grabbing the signal from course fit. And so what I do each week is I run a course fit model, basically trying to find what skill sets are, are going to most translate into success at a tournament. Not necessarily like when, when past winners have won here, what was the skill that week that allowed them to win? Like, you know, there, there are some weeks where everyone at the top of the leaderboard gained a ton of strokes around the green or something, but from a predictive standpoint, it would be all about approach play or off the tee play. And so you do get a, a kind of a distinction there between predictive and descriptive data. And so a lot of what I do kind of tries to separate those two. And, and with the course fit model, I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me. And one thing I found through this course fit model is I think the industry overweights approach play some of the time, of course, there are going to be courses where it's like, it's all about iron play. Uh, but I think if there's a, if there's a major theme about like the course fit model and the findings there, it's that off the tee play and around the green play, deserve a lot more attention than they get. Is that because if you can be an outlier in one of those, and I would think that, I mean, I guess it depends on the course for one thing. Like if you're at Torrey Pines or something like Riviera, driving is going to be of the utmost important because you mm-hmm. need to not only be long, but somewhat accurate off the tee as well. There's only so few players that can hit that bucket. But if you can find a you know, J.B. Holmes, who you know has the distance, but if you can find some accuracy to go along with it that week, which happens two, three times a year, all of a sudden you have a guy who might be able to win a golf tournament? I, I think there are a few things involved with why this is true. I think I'll start with around the green play. I think one reason why Morikawa and other young guys have been able to be so successful as soon as they get to the tour, their first time on certain courses, is because the preparation that goes into kind of developing a strategy for course management on a course is so beyond what it used to be now for players, whether it's uh, Scott Fawcett's decade system or anybody else, you know, a lot of these players have their own statisticians who are formulating game plans for them. But when you are really good around the green, it allows you to take more aggressive lines. Sometimes like Victor Hovland has to be very careful, for example, coming into certain greens because he knows, okay, I can't, miss this green long, or that's a five. Whereas someone like JT might be able to say, I can miss this long. I will get up and down for par, which allows me to really be aggressive to this back pin. Maybe he makes more birdies in that situation. 
I don't necessarily know that that's the case. I, I just know around the green play is also fairly stable, but with a, off the tee play, it's a much more straightforward answer. And that is, it's twofold, really. Number one, off the tee is by far the most stable aspect of golf. So basically that just means that guys who are very good off the tee or guys who have been really good off the tee, we can be extremely confident they will continue to be great off the tee in the future, more so than you can say about iron play and especially more so than you can say about putting. But then the other thing, like a more conceptual answer for off the tee is it's the only aspect of golf that affects every other aspect. So there's nothing that like keeps a player from driving the ball well, other than his talent. If he's going to make good swings off the tee, he's going to drive it well. If he's long, he's going to stay long. Whereas you can be a great iron player, but in a given week, if you're driving the ball into trouble hole after hole, you can't take advantage of that skill set. And it's the same thing like you can be a great putter, but if you're putting for par when everyone else is putting for birdie, you're going to get lapped by the field. So off the tee play affects every other aspect of the game, and therefore it's extremely important. It's funny, Byron, what Alex just kind of pointed out, I used to point to uh, why you would take, I mean, what's the difference between Bryson and Dustin Johnson and these guys who are at the very top of the world versus Brendan Todd or Denny McCarthy? is that their best skill is the repeatable skill, where the best skill for the other player is something that can be highly variant and not always able to make you capitalize on a situation for winning a tournament. Like, when you see Brendan Todd win, I mean, it's because he probably drives the ball really well that week and actually gives him a chance to take advantage of that putting, whereas most weeks that's just not the case. Absolutely. Just like at Pebble, right, where you off the tee works exactly in his favor there because you're not going to be blowing it a million miles down the fairway. And I think that's pretty much why John Rahm is, it's a great example there. I think is just why he's so very good at golf and hardly ever outside the top 10 is he's starting on second base with, with those drives all this, all the time. And it's unfair, man. Like, like you've heard all these, these other professionals even say, uh, John Rahm makes golf look far too easy. And it's just because of that, that big power fade that he hits off the tee. And when I try to hit a power fade, it just balloons off into the bushes, you know? So I can't, even, I can't even imagine what it must be like to just be on autopilot off the tee, just nonstop. But yeah, absolutely agree. And it's, it's just, it's unfair for some shorties, you know? They don't get a good chance on tour yet. Well, and to kind of go back to what Alex said too about course history versus course fit, I think we've seen a lot of people come around to that idea of thinking. Do you buy into that as well of, hey, these are the types of players that can win at these seven courses that are all somewhat similar when we go look at the data, where you will get a Pebble Beach or Mayakoba or Bermuda, Heritage, whatever it might be, mm. and those would be the weeks where you can kind of expand your pool a little bit because the Brennan Todds of the world, the Denny McCarthy's of the world, where they can top 10 at some of these other courses if they run a hot putter, but they could potentially win at these other courses because their weakest skills are not as emphasized. Exactly. And I think when it comes to course history, it's a nice little blend of using actual course history that's out there and building your model to tailor, like kind of Alex just said, just tailoring your, your, the way you rank your guys by fitting the stats that you're using to match what's you know, most successful at those kind of courses. So it's kind of like a double dip, but it makes so much sense when you hear like a Kevin Kisner at RSM and, and places like that and Webb, you know, there's like, and the weirdest thing I was, when Bubba was on tour was he had the most insane course history, but it wasn't to like a specific course. It was just, he, he so I'm trying to like also research 
if there's a certain type of golfer that has a specific course history that's unique to himself and not just a specific skill set. Because if you just look at, you know, how they go about scoring on those events, they don't necessarily do the same golf courses and they don't require the same skill set over and over, but yet somehow they still continue to play good golf at that kind of a venue. So it's, it's really interesting. And that what makes golf so difficult to bet on, man. It's so hard, it's so hard. So Alex, can you give people some of a backstory on your golf career before you started doing this and what you're still doing right now? Sure. I, uh, I played, I played golf at Kenyon college in Ohio. I went there actually primarily for basketball only ended up playing one year of basketball, all four years of golf. And I would say it was the summer before my senior year of college that I had some really good finishes in the golf association of Philadelphia and the Pennsylvania golf association and realized like at that time, Hey, you know what? I think, I think I want to pursue this after college. And so I, I turned pro in the August after I graduated, I'm now 30. That was seven, eight years ago now. And uh, I'm still a professional, but as of like last spring, I stopped being the type of professional that's trying to get to the PGA tour. Like I'm just going to do us open qualifying some state opens, that kind of thing. And I, I've really kind of gone all in on the sports betting DraftKings side of things. And, and with my, my work at FTN. Uh, but yeah, I think, the the highlights of my career have been making it to four U.S. Open sectionals. Haven't gotten through yet. Hopefully this year's the charm. Um, and then I won the Pennsylvania Open two years ago at Philadelphia Cricket Club, and that was a pretty special week. And again, just trying to break down the field. Like I think this is what I mean. Probably both of you as well versus someone like me that would give you such an advantage trying to figure out recent form or anything like that. Because sometimes I think that talking to players themselves about their games might not actually deliver accurate results because what some people think about their games might not actually be true about their games. But if they believe it, then that's just what they're going to work off of and have that psychology. But when you start to see, like even to watch some players on the course in let's say Phoenix or Pebble, is there stuff that you can see over like a five hole stretch be like, Oh, this wasn't working for them. It looks like they got it back together. I can't really realize that, but I'm guessing that you probably can. Sometimes not always. I I think you make a really good point there. Like there were times as a player that I knew that my game was really close and I'm sure the data wouldn't have told me that. And, and like there were times where I would, I would play a really bad tournament or something. And I'd get on the phone afterwards with my dad and I'd be like, Hey, I know I shot like three over both days, but I felt like I played really well. And he'd be like, well, it doesn't sound like it. You shot three over both days. And then I'd go and, and have a really great finish in the next event or something like that. And, and so there's, there's always something to that. Like if, if you can see it, sometimes you'll see that a player's swing just looks really in rhythm. He's super in balance on every swing, or he's giving himself a lot of opportunities and, you know, his, his putts, you can tell that he's hitting them with conviction. They're rolling well. He's hitting his lines and they're just not falling. And then like you might see somebody else with the same amount of opportunities and he's pulling a putt or his speed is awful. And so one guy is putting a lot better than his results. And the other deserves to be missing all those putts. You won't be able to see that in the data, but if you're watching and if you know, like how to evaluate the way that a, a guy is putting the ball, then maybe you can kind of get ahead of the the positive regression that's coming to him. 
Yeah, do you ever see anything like this, Byron? Because I'm very curious about your backstory, too, of coming over and playing college golf. I want to hear more about that. But just watching it, is there stuff that you can pick off knowing that, like, hey, like, yeah, I see it right here. Like, that drive just kind of clicked something back in for him. Like, I, I will almost look at Justin Thomas at the Waste Management from last week. Like, he clearly didn't have it for the first I don't know, 27, 36 holes, was able to grind it through. And then he hits one shot, and you're like, huh, he really stiffed that that 200-yard par three. Played the exact shot he wanted to hit. It went exactly where he wanted to hit it. And it felt like from that point on, he couldn't miss anymore. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And it, it doesn't really help knowing that after the fact that after we've placed all our bets. But it is fun, you know, watching. And it definitely helps for, like, if you're doing a showdown or round-by-round round betting and things like that, too. But... For example, like Cameron Smith, for some weird reason, I was like obsessed with him and and just I could notice and I can't tell you exactly what it is right away. But after he swings, what his follow through is, and there's like a split second of time that he holds his club and then drops it through his hands. That's like a perfect range shot. If he's hit the ideal shot, that club's coming down in the same like synchronized amount of time. And when it's not a good shot, then then you can just see, you know, like, okay, but it might land up being 10 feet away on, on hole 17 of TPC Sawgrass and he never necessarily hit the shot he wanted to hit, you know? So it's it's interesting. And you can definitely see these guys get, when Rory walks, you can see the chest, you know, the, the boobs are bouncing. And that's when you know he's playing his best golf. And there's just guys that have their telltale signs. And it's, it's a beautiful game you play, Pat, or watch, you know. Can you tell me a little bit about about coming over here for, I guess, I mean, I call it university. You call it university. They, they, they love yeah. calling it college in the States. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. It's been a nightmare. School. In Iowa, they call it school. So I was like, oh, so what are you going to school for? Well, I've been to school for 12 years already, dude. So I'll, uh, I'm going to university. And I, I came over, small little university. I had three different offers. Like two years later, my sister came over. She had 60. So I, I was the spearhead for our family. Um, she got a full ride. I got a 50% scholarship. The currency crashed pretty much in my sophomore year. So my 50% scholarship turned into a 0% scholarship. So then I started working security, RA, the whole shebang. I've done like every, every single job on campus you can think of. Um, and then kind of just did some grad assistant work for another two years to get my master's, just trying to stay in the country. Finally landed up getting a job as an accountant. Um, my three and a half degrees paid off. And then, yeah, we are, you know, like I'm pretty, pretty smart when it comes to putting numbers together and, and figuring out analysis of patterns and things like that. So it's been a beautiful blend of, of golf and, um, and finance to say, you know, um, however I've arrived here. So it's been a fun ride. Well, and you're still pretty new to, especially the content industry. How long was it before, like, you were either betting or playing DraftKings, whatever it might be, before you decided to make that leap into content, being like, hey, I'm probably better at this than a lot of people. Why don't I give it a try, too? Yeah, no, I'm a very impulsive dude, <laughs> and that's why I need the model for most of my bets, is to have control over the decisions I'm making. Because if I, I didn't originally get into betting until the pandemic, and then we were stuck at home and then I had no one to talk to next to me in the office. So I just decided I'd, I started building an NFL model and then realized, you know what, I can do this for golf. And there's not a lot of people that are doing this for golf. And I love golf pretty much more than I like NFL anyway, because I'm a Jets fan. So I need to find some happiness in another avenue of my life. So off we go to golf and the next thing, one thing leads to the next. And, and yeah, we are. So pandemic, um, and then pretty much I've been betting for two, two and a half years and, and riding for pretty much like the year. So 
it's been a it's been a wild ride and and it's been a fun one and i can't can't wait to see what happens yeah in the in the next little while and, and how long was it for you alex before you're like hey I can do this as a career because it's kind of crazy to think like you, it's weird to hear you say like I turned pro and now I'm at the point where I'm going to try to qualify for us opens. Maybe it's not as profitable to grind out mini tours and try to work up my status because I I don't think people realize how much money that costs to try to be a pro golfer when you're not winning $3.6 million on a weekend. (laughs) That's exactly right. And that's exactly how it happened for me. Like I, I was fortunate enough that over the last like five years, I would say it's been DraftKings that had completely supported my golf pursuit. And finally, I, I just got to a point where I was like, what if I use this money to like start building for my future instead of just paying for golf entry fees? And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's how I'm here. But I think you nailed it. Like the, the pursuit of golf and, and trying to get to the PGA Tour, man, it just hemorrhages money. Where do most of the, is it just all travel expenses or is it like the cost of the tournaments that are huge too? Well, the cost of the tournaments are pretty huge too. So like, it, and it depends on the mini tour that you're playing. It depends on the event, but entry fees will range from $300 is the cheapest to like $1,500 is the most expensive. And I think what, what a lot of people don't realize, actually there, there are two things. So the first is like, you have to be consistently contending just to break even because of all the travel costs and because not a hundred percent of the, of the, the money is being actually paid back. It's, it's like the, the rake, if you will, is a lot higher on the mini tour than it, what it is on the DraftKings contest, for example. And, um, and then the second thing is the, the competition over the last five years, it's just insane. Like my first few years down in Florida, a lot of these mini tours, you end up playing the same courses year after year, the, the exact same tournaments host, the exact same courses, just like they do on the PGA tour. And I, I distinctly remember like my, either my second or third year down there, I had a really, really awesome final round at Orange County national Panther Lake shot six under a really, really windy day. I had shot even the first day. So six under in two days and I finished third. And last year I shot nine under there similar conditions. And I finished, I think it was 26, something like that. Like performances that used to be top fives are now just barely getting through the cut. And what used to be a win is now like, maybe you're getting a top five. It's just insane how deep the golf talent and golf pool is now. And and so, yeah, it's, it's excruciatingly difficult to even come close to breaking even. I think we see that on tour as well, especially with all these young guys, all of a sudden, as you mentioned, like Morikawa or a Hovland or whoever, Tom Kim, whoever it may be, yeah. just makes the leap and all of a sudden they're legit players on the PGA Tour where that wasn't really a thing. Like you had Tiger, that, that was a thing in the 90s. Other than that, it was the same <laughs> 45-year-old dudes who looked, looked like they were 45 when they were 25, but you had your eight players who were awesome and they would be awesome for 25 years. Then you know, a few more guys would trickle in. Why is that? Is it the training? Is it the education that you can get where you know, before if you weren't some you know, hoity-toity elite getting golf training, it was just very inaccessible mm-hmm. to a lot of people. But with the internet coming around and here's how you train for your golf swing. Uh, here's the proper workout. Here's the proper diet. Here's what you should be working on. Here's a chipping drill. Here's a putting drill, whatever it might be. Everyone has access to that information now. Yeah. It's all of the above there. Um, players are more physically ready. They're more mentally ready. Um, they're more psychologically ready. Like, I think that's a, a, a big thing that people don't realize, like how uh, part of it is how grueling the, 
the path to the PGA tour is. So like when guys are playing in their first PGA tour event, you think, Oh, he must be so nervous. I promise you this. He's not anywhere near as nervous as he was in the final round of qualifying school. Like there's just no chance he is, you know? So they, these players have already faced the highest of pressure in the game that you can find until you get to like the final round of the masters in contention or your first Ryder cup. That's going to be a, a new level of pressure and a completely different type of pressure. But yeah, they're, they're so ready on every level. And then the other thing is the path to the PGA tour has become more difficult, right? Like it used to be, you could, you could get straight to the PGA tour through Q school. And, and now they, they have reopened that and a new change this year, which I think is a, another good change, but basically like the, the thing that I've heard over and over playing with guys who have made it to the PGA tour, like I was fortunate enough to play with Zach Blair and Denny McCarthy in us open sectionals uh, over the years is that, it's a hell of a lot easier to keep your card than it is to get your card. The, the difficulty is getting there, not staying there once you get there. And, and maybe that'll change now that there are fewer spots. Um, but to this point, like that's, that's been the case on tour. Byron, do you see, I mean, obviously you have a bit more of a connection with the overseas game than we would, at least I assume that you would uh, versus the two of us. Like, do you see the same thing happening worldwide as well, even over in Britain of younger players just being better now? In South Africa or Britain, either way, um, it's it's a fun little dynamic, right? Because, like Alex said, like there's so much analytics going on. I think the guys that are playing their best will only get better. You know, like if you have a great skill set, they're going to find a way for that person to be the very best at that, and and like build their game around that area of the game. Where, whereas, like a John Daly, or I don't know, I want to say like Ernie else in a way, but not really. The 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 old school get the ball in the hole gang is it's kind of a, a lost trade now. And, you know, you're not seeing a guy that's just woken up from in his, in the back of his car after a few beers the night before they, these guys are so focused and they just, the, the, it's a, it's a job now, not just a, a luxury like most of these guys have, have had, you know, back in the day. All right. Well, uh, is there anything that you guys wanted to speak on about your content? Uh, again, just what makes it different? Why the viewers and listeners of the Pat Mayo experience need to go and check that out? Other than obviously being award nominated, potentially award winning, Byron, what, what is it about your content that you think that sticks out above everyone else's? Yeah. So Breaking 100 is the article that I nominate, uh, submitted myself for, and it's using $100 as a concept of betting for the week. So you take your 100 bucks, you bet it, on outrights, you bet it on first round leaders, you bet it on head to head matchups, you bet it on placements. And then I've got like a $5 farewell fiver. So I really try and um, bring the general public of, of the golf betting society together in a way that's very understandable for a guy that like you too will understand my article. And also my dad will understand it too, because I'm just taking $10 and I'm betting it on John Rahm to finish inside the top 10 kind of thing. You know, it's, it's not like a very over exaggerated article i just kind of simplify golf betting into a very sustainable and logical way that i try and encourage bankroll management i try and encourage using specific statistics you know kind of just um understanding when to bet more understanding when to bet less like for example i'm currently struggling as the data hasn't really formed like normalized itself yet since all these guys have shown up on tour so now i've told people look in the article we're only betting let like five bucks instead of our, our $12 or $10 on a placement bet, because we, we know we're not necessarily as successful at this time of the year. So just trying to bring betting to people's conscience too, but at the same time also 
helping them become better betters themselves if they don't necessarily want to follow everything that I'm saying, you know. So it's it's a kind of a nice um, entry piece to the to Rotoballer side for sure. Yeah, understanding both the why you get to the picks and why you get to the bets is more or less the important part. The picks themselves, Alex, as I found out as someone who's given out a lot of bad picks over the years, but other people will tell me, like, hey, how you got to that pick actually got me onto someone else based through the process Mm -hmm. that you did it. I'm like, that's great. I wish I had thought of that, like, when I was going through everything. So I do think that there's that process that goes into it, the information process. How did you arrive at that conclusion? And maybe that conclusion is wrong, but it gets people onto something else. So how does your work, you think, differentiate from a lot of people's work out there? One of the pieces that I submitted uh, for this award was a a piece that I did with a new statistic, strokes gain driving accuracy, where basically I just tried to separate the two components of driving into distance and accuracy, because I think the existing data, like whether it's fairways gained, percentage of fairways hit, I think there's a really, really poor job of actually telling you how accurate a guy is off the tee there. the, The biggest issue is it doesn't account for distance. It's kind of like completion percentage over expected in football, right? Like a six yard completion isn't as good as an 18 yard completion. If you're throwing the ball downfield, if you're adjusting for the average depth of target, you're getting a better estimate of how accurate a quarterback is. Similarly, somebody who hits the ball 330 isn't going to be able to hit as many fairways as somebody hitting the ball 270, even if he's actually averaging like less degrees offline. And, and then the second thing there is the percentage of fairways hit or fairways gained treats all misses as equal. Like, let's say there's a hole where there's water down the left side and, and it's harmless rough on the right side and you bomb one down the right, you miss the fairway into the rough, but you're in a really good position. That's a far better shot than if you snap hook one into the water. And if somebody is consistently making the big miss and somebody else is consistently making the right miss, that's not going to show up in percentage of fairways gained. It will show up in strokes gained driving accuracy. So that's, that's one of the biggest things that I was able to do last year. And then I also think just kind of overall, like I, I do a show with uh, a friend of mine named Justin Bates. who I met at uh, PGA tour Canada Q school seven years ago or something like that. And, and we, we really try to approach the conversation, not about the specific picks, but kind of, as you said, like the process of everything and, and helping people understand the sport better, helping people, uh, come to different bets. And, and really what we like to do is kind of highlight like, okay, what are the narratives that are going around the industry this week and how much water do they actually hold? Is this something that we want to kind of fall in line with and, and build our, whether it's our betting card or our DraftKings lineups with that in mind, or is it something that we actually want to actively take advantage and kind of go the opposite direction on? Interesting. I I do have to ask you before you get out of here, when you're going through the qualifying or when you're on the mini tours and you're meeting these professionals, how big, I mean, obviously betting is probably bigger now than it was seven years ago, but how much are people, I mean, betting on the course for one thing, but thinking about betting on golf, that kind of thing, or is that completely an outlier to you and a few others? I I think it's an outlier to a few of us. Um, What I will say is, you'd be kind of amazed like how laser like everyone's focus is while you're playing the round. So I I know like there have been kind of stories that, Hey, Phil Mickelson used to make like huge bets within a round with certain guys. And maybe that's true for him, but there aren't many side bets except when it does happen is when like, let's say it's a three day event and you're playing the final round, but you are already 
12 strokes behind the leader. So maybe you're paired with a buddy of yours and you say, Hey, how about we spice this up? Let's throw a hundred dollars on the low round of the day, just so we have something to play for. So we don't feel like we're just walking like zombies for 18 holes. So what you're saying is that unlike me, players aren't just walking out on a Sunday, also streaming like the live golf on their phone while they're trying to line <laughs> up putts. Yeah. So it's funny for me, like that was, that was one of the hardest things. Cause obviously like we used to have so many tournaments on Sundays and so there'd be a, a really like important golf round finishing. And then there's football starting at one o'clock. And I'm just like, don't take your phone out. Don't take your phone out. Play the round of golf. And it's, it can be tough. Uh, Byron, can you tell everyone where they can find all of your work, the podcast, and if you have any promo codes to tell the people about, everyone can always use a discount. Awesome. Thanks, Pat. Before we get, and before I get to that quick, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done. I mean, I don't know if Alex and I and, a whole host of other people would actually be in this situation if it weren't for a few of the people like you that really, you know, exploded this industry. So props to you. Thank you for all of that. You know, love, love the stuff you do. Just wanted to get that in there before telling everybody that Back Nine Bets is my podcast. You can find it on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify. Um, everything Rotoballer is at rotoballer.com. Code Maniac gets you some of the premium stuff there, 10% off. And the Model Maniac at the Model Maniac is my Twitter account. And it's full of fun, you know, graphics and photoshops of random guys that I pick for outrights. And it's, it's one of my prides and joys is, is putting together the photoshops for my outrights, which have been horrific lately. So that's, thank God that I've actually been doing that because it keeps betting a little bit more fun. So those are the three spots you can grab me at. And, and Alex, same with you. Do, do you have any promo code over at FTN? Yeah, you can, uh, you can sign up for free trials at FTN daily or FTN bets. And uh, whether you use the free trial or not, Use promo code BLICK, B-L-I-C-K, for 20% off of either. And, uh, and yeah, you can also find uh, my podcast at the FTN Network YouTube channel, Pro vs. Pro. And uh, you can also find it by following me on Twitter at AlexBlickle1. Suggest everyone go do all of those things that Alex and Byron just laid out for you. Or you can you know, smash the like to this. You can sub to the episode. But I want to thank you for staying along with us and hearing some stories from around the industry. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know, rate and review the podcast. A good one. No bad ones, because that's very unfair. Only good. Five stars. That's what I want on Apple and Spotify, please. And go do it for their podcast as well, because that would really help everyone out. That's the currency of the podcast game, so please go do that. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.